You're listening to Plug In with Power Sports Finance, a monthly podcast that features interviews with experts from across the industry. On today's episode, David Gemperly, partner at Neeson & Elliott, will be providing an update on recent compliance cases and how lenders can adjust their business in response. With that, I'll let David kick us off with the update. So the, the, the first big uh, development would be the Wells Fargo's um, consumer suit settlement, and that's the collateral protection insurance, where they were um, charging people for collateral protection insurance where they might actually have already had their own coverage, um, and they were f- also failing to refund these people in a timely manner. So it's a, a huge uh, area of liability we're all aware of now, um, and anybody that's forced placing um, coverage should look closely at those programs. In power sports, there's uh, a particular uh, risk that the, the, the uh, vehicle operators will not get insurance coverage because it's kind of expensive. Um, so you might have a program for VSI, which is a little different than CPI, um, and that's where you require at the outset of the transaction that they that, that they get coverage co- that it will cover your interest alone on top of any requirement to obtain a, a, a normal um, vehicle operation insurance. And that's something you can only do in certain states, so, so uh, you'll want to pay attention to which states permit that and which states don't permit it. Next couple things relate to leases. Uh, we've seen an additional settlement in connection with um, the repossession and ca- lease capitalized cost return. For the repossession issue, that should be familiar to everyone. This is about checking the SCRI database, the DMDC, uh, prior to repossessing a vehicle, after you repossess it, and, and before you actually uh, dispose of the, of the vehicle. And the second component of the this, this settlement with Nissan is lease capitalized cost return. And that's the concept that the DOJ has been pushing, uh, which is, originally came out of a, a, a civil suit, but they took the ball and ran. And that's a, that if you have a lease that has a capitalized cost reduction, then a service member that exercises their termination rights gets to get back a portion of that capitalized cost reduction. As, um, as, a, as if it were a, a prepaid payment. Um, that hasn't really been tested in case law, but the DOJ certainly loves, loves it. Um, fortunately, there's, um, you know, there, there's less of that in power sports or less, less uh, liability risk because we see not as such big down payments uh, or, or cap cost reductions on leases. Typically, they're just going for a super low monthly payment. Um, and, and not um, and not coming in with a lot of cash to put on the table. Also, in connection with leasing, there's a, there's a brand new law in New York um, that says if you die, you're not liable for an early termination fee on a lease. This stands in contrast to the New Jersey law that says you must allow um, the, the, the deceased person's spouse to uh, take over the lease. In New York, seemingly, they're encouraging you to, um, to declare default when the lessee dies because you're not going to be able to get any money out of them, uh, out of whoever's operating the vehicle 
um, in, in the absence of any uh, assumption agreement. Um, so particularly if you've got a single lessee, uh, you'll want to declare a, an event of default if the, that lessee dies. Uh, and you'll also need to um, amend New York lease contracts for any uh, power sports companies. And there are a few, I believe, and maybe only a couple, that are doing leasing in New York. They'll need a new disclosure on their contracts. And that's, uh, that's about all I've got for, uh, for this quarter. Gotcha. Yeah, why, why would they think that uh, after you uh, passed that that would, that would terminate the, the lease? Well, you know, so the idea normally is that you, you want somebody to be obligated on the contract. Mm-hmm. They've got your vehicle, and if, that once that person dies, uh, you know, there's no one else there. The estate is supposed to be responsible for all the obligations of the um, lessee standing in their shoes, um, but there's no obligation for the estate to continue on leasing a, a vehicle under the original terms. So commonly you'll put in a, a, a termination on death provision in a lease, although not all companies do. Now this, this rule says, okay, if you die, you're not liable on the lease. That's obvious. They're dead. You can't collect money from a dead person. But it also means that the, you can't collect any money from the estate. So if the estate was like, listen, uh, you know, the guy's brother wants to keep making payments on the lease, um, can we just do that? You know, we're current. The problem here is that you've cut off. If, the, if, the, if that person doesn't assume the lease, meaning in writing, then the lessor really has no one to go after for early termination liability um, for the rest of the, the life of the lease. So you might as well get the vehicle back. Gotcha. Okay. And then, you know, are there any uh, lessons or big takeaways that uh, lenders need to, uh, you know, learn from these cases? Any, you know, areas of business that should be uh, beefing up? Well, they do need to track legislation because things will pop up like this. Mm -hmm. And you've got to revise those contracts within 90 days, Uh, particularly in the... uh, in the lease side, where there's fewer generic agreements, or the generic agreements are less popular, so you may have to do the revising yourself. On the retail side, the big form companies will, well, companies will generally be tracking this legislation pretty well and will issue uh, a new contract in time for any kind of disclosure change to become into effect. Gotcha. And are there any uh, updates to any like long-term existing stuff? Talking like um, uh, like TCPA, anything on debt collection, etc. Um, well, I guess I can say um, debt collection. We've continue continue to see uh, issues out of Massachusetts, mm-hmm. um, and there are special requirements in Massachusetts for handling debt collection, and that, and for them, debt collection is anything. It doesn't have to be a, some, a charged-off account, and it doesn't have to be a third party doing the, the collection. Um, it's a, it, the obligations are relevant to anyone to, to validate the debt, and there's currently a class action against Wells Fargo for that, um, that very, very activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, in debt collection, there's that, definitely that. We see Massachusetts, and we see a class action against uh, Wells Fargo for violating the, the uh, 
the general unfair trade practice statute as well as the specific debt collection uh, contact rule. Um, one of the things is, is they have a, a, a no more than two contact uh, in a seven-day period requirement. So if you were just following your normal collection practices, you could easily call somebody three times in a seven-day period. Um, so you have to set up specific parameters to handle Massachusetts because they don't allow any kind of frequency um, in, in, within a seven-day period. And that's, uh, you know, currently in the, the uh, District of Massachusetts. Um, and, uh, you know, that litigation continues apace. Mm-hmm. Um, in other areas, I guess I'm going to be talking about the TCPA at the conference, so I, I, I don't want to go mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. deep into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can also say that I've seen more litigation in connection with repossession notices, uh, particularly um, the Missouri concept that you can't collect default interest or interest after default, and thus collecting it makes the notices uh, improper. And then we've also seen some litigation out of Minnesota, uh, which has always had a rule that you have to give a notice of strict compliance before repossession, but the rule's not in a statute, so many companies weren't or aren't aware of it, um, and that's known as a Cobb notice, and I've seen uh, additional litigation over that lately. Uh, I believe Fifth Third is one of the companies. Gotcha. Oh, well, awesome, Dave. As always, thanks for uh, hopping on uh, this call. Uh, And, you know, I'll see you soon enough. Great. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. I want to thank David once again for participating in this episode of Plug In with Power Sports Finance. David will also be giving a more in-depth breakdown on compliance matters during a presentation at Power Sports Finance Summit, taking place October 23rd and 24th at the Hilton San Diego Bayfront. Thanks for plugging in with Power Sports Finance.